0: But I was trying to help somebody who wanted to exercise their right to vote. I was on trial, fighting for my life, for something that I was not guilty of. And I said to her, you were lying then like you're lying now.
1: From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says everyone I know from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. We start today with more Trump, Donald Trump little fish finally enjoying some accountability for their blatant violations of the rule of law this afternoon, or maybe it's... Me enjoying their accountability, uh, Desi Doyen.
2: Hey, accountability is fun.
1: We'll take it where we can get it. Uh, Former Trump White House advisor Peter Navarro was convicted by a jury of his peers on Thursday of criminal contempt of Congress for failing to comply with a congressional subpoena related to his boss's failed plot to steal the 2020 election. From the American people, the jury deliberated for about four hours before finding Navarro guilty of two counts of contempt for refusing to testify before the House January 6 committee and to turn over subpoenaed documents. Quote, there's no mistake, no accident. Prosecutor John Crabb told jurors in the Washington, D.C. federal courtroom during closing arguments that man thinks he's above the law, Crabb said. In this country, nobody is above the law. Well, I'm not s- entirely sure about that. But in this case, Navarro wasn't, at least for the moment. Navarro's Trump-funded lawyer, Stan, Stanley Woodward, told jurors the government had failed to prove that his client was guilty of criminal contempt of Congress. But as the jury turned out to be made of sentient beings... <laughs> They disagreed with him. Quote, contempt means disrespecting the rule of law, said Assistant U.S. Attorney Elizabeth Alloy in her closing statements. Uh, She said Navarro knew he was commanded to appear and produce documents, and he chose not to. If people like the defendant can choose to ignore the government's subpoenas, the work of our government to serve its people cannot get done, she added. The trial of uh, for Navarro moved very quickly. Jury selection was Tuesday. Opening statements and witness testimony were wrapped up by late Wednesday afternoon, and the jury deliberations began shortly after 11 a.m. on Thursday before handing down their verdict a few hours later. Quote, we're in God's hands now, Navarro tweeted in the early afternoon while asking for donations to his legal defense fund to, quote, Fight these weaponized partisan bastards. (laughs) The two counts, those weaponized partisan bastards on the jury found uh, Navarro guilty of each carry a minimum of 30 days and a maximum of one year in prison, in addition to a maximum fine of one hundred thousand dollars. His uh, attorney, Woodward, told the jury in his opening statement that Navarro did not dispute many of the facts presented in the case, including that he had been issued and had accepted a subpoena and that he had neither appeared for testimony nor produced records as required. But Woodward argued that Navarro had not willfully failed to comply with the subpoena. Uh, It was just Donald Trump who had told him that he must assert executive privilege in the case, even though Trump himself never communicated executive privilege to the January 6th committee or submitted any information in Navarro's case saying that he had done so. In other words, Pete, your boss screwed you over like he does to everyone. And you, sir, were dumb enough to fall for it. And now you will almost certainly be going to prison for it. Though he will uh, definitely appeal like his equally dumb pal Steve Bannon. uh, Bannon last year was also found guilty of two counts of contempt of Congress for the very same thing by a jury of his peers or weaponized bastards, whatever you want to call them. (laughs) He was uh, sentenced to, uh, Bannon was sentenced to four months behind bars and a $6,500 fine He is appealing, so he has yet to serve his sentence as he, like Navarro, become increasingly desperate to get Trump back into the White House so they can be pardoned for the actual crimes they committed on his behalf. Just more of Donald Trump's American carnage. Um, We will uh, get to some more accountability along those lines uh, in a bit. But speaking of crimes committed on behalf of Donald Trump, well, we've got actually a number of odds and ends and follow ups and codas that I want to try to get to today, starting with this one, which has been cycling through my brain since just before we took a break for the holiday on the same day. That a private plane carrying one time Vladimir Putin ally turned very brief mutiny leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and nine others had, uh, well, their plane uh, uh, exploded and fell from the sky shortly after taking off from Moscow. Well, there was quite a bit of coverage at the time regarding Prigozhin's failed mutiny against Putin, his complaints as the head of the brutal mercenary Wagner group uh, in Ukraine, and uh, his charges that, in fact, Putin's war on Ukraine was entirely built on lies and that the country wasn't actually filled with Nazis as Putin has claimed. But all of the coverage that I saw about Prigozhin's death, his apparent murder, left out a key matter that Prigozhin was involved in that I want to make sure does not fully slip away into history's memory hole. You may remember uh, this part of the story. It was reported by AP back in November of just last year, the day before the 2022 midterms here. Kremlin-connected entrepreneur Yevgeny Prigozhin admitted on Monday that he had interfered in U.S. elections and would continue to do so, confirming for the first time the accusations that he had previously rejected for years, claiming, what, we didn't uh, interfere in American election." Anyway, Prigozhin uh, boasted in remarks posted on social media. This was back the day before last year's election. Quote, gentlemen, we have interfered, are interfering and will interfere carefully, precisely, surgically and in our own way as we know how to do, unquote. Yes, Prigozhin was that guy. As AP reported at the time, it was the second major admission in recent months by the 61-year-old businessman who has ties to Vladimir Putin. Prigozhin has previously sought to keep his activities under the radar and now appears increasingly interested in gaining political clout. How'd that work out for him? Anyway, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said at the time in response to Pergozian's comments that they, quote, do not tell us anything new or surprising. Quote, it's well known and well documented in the public domain. She said that entities associated with Pergozian have sought to influence elections around the world, including the U.S., Quote, part of Russia's efforts include promoting narratives aimed at undermining democracy and sowing division and discord. It's not surprising that Russia would be highlighting their attempted efforts and fabricating a story about their successes on the eve of an election, she added. So that was the eve of the 2022 midterms when Progozhin made this claim. It was reported at the time by AP. And given that Trump. And the MAGA crowd are still, still lying about Russia's interference in the 2016 election. And there are a lot of folks on the left who have bought into those lies, lies that Russia didn't interfere in the 2016 election, uh, you know, which they absolutely did and which there is tons of evidence for. I just thought I, I should lay down that marker here before, as I said, the matter disappears into the memory whole of history, along with uh, Prigozhin's death, his almost certain murder, almost certainly by Vladimir Putin, or at least those sympathetic to him, following uh, Prigozhin and his mercenary group's uh, short-lived mutiny in Russia just a few weeks ago. Uh, so, wanted to make sure we got that on the book. Uh, by the way, in uh, 2018, AP had noted at the time Prigozhin and a dozen other Russian nationals And three Russian companies were indicted as part of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian election interference in 2016. Uh, Russian intelligence was also found to have infiltrated voter registration systems that year, which we only know thanks to whistleblower Reality Winner, who served years in jail for disclosing the evidence of that effort. Uh, Before the uh, 2016 effort by uh, by the Russians, who also ran a campaign to foment discord and division ahead of that election. Uh, All right. Another uh, follow up today uh, in the wake of Hurricane Idalia a week or so ago, uh, which made landfall, thankfully, in a sparsely populated area of northern Florida before going on to wreak havoc in uh, Georgia, North Carolina This is a story from The Guardian about a week ago, but I've uh, other outlets like CNN uh, picked up on it today, a week later. So in their report last week, headlined, everything is destroyed. Floridians begin long recovery from Idalia. The Guardian reported uh, there was an estimated at the time 4,000 to 6,000 local homes in Pasco County that sustained Hurricane damage with insured property losses uh, estimated to run uh, more than $9 billion. As authorities continue to assess damage in the Big Bend region, they reported residents who have lost their homes are in limbo, awaiting relief and assistance. But Governor Ron DeSantis's anti immigration policies in Florida are undermining the recovery. And rebuilding of hard hit areas, hard hit Republican leaning areas, by the way. On July one this year, so just a couple months ago, uh, SB 1718 was signed into law by DeSantis. Uh, It went into effect. It imposes restrictions and penalties aimed at deterring employers from hiring undocumented workers. Saket Sony, executive director of Resilience Force, an advocacy gr- advocacy group for workers who respond to climate disasters. It's what they do, said, quote, Floridians will need thousands of skilled disaster recovery workers to rebuild their homes after Adalia. But because of Governor DeSantis, they may not get them. The group said over half its members reported that they would not be deploying to Florida to assist in Adalia recovery efforts due to the high risk now of deportation. Sony said, quote, resilience, uh, resilience workers are overwhelmingly immigrants and DeSantis's anti-immigrant attacks successfully drove them out when they were still rebuilding from Hurricane Ian's unprecedented destruction last year in October. Florida, he said, must repeal its draconian anti-immigrant laws to avoid making the crisis of Italia even worse. And now CNN reports today that, yes, the problem continues. They report immigrant workers from across the U.S. raced to Florida to help rebuild after Hurricane Ian devastated the region last year. But now, nearly a year later... And days after another major hurricane hit, some of those workers say they are, in fact, staying home. The law signed by DeSantis, among other things, it makes it a third-degree felony to transport someone who's undocumented into the state. It, in, it invalidates driver's licenses issued to unauthorized immigrants in other states. It requires hospitals in Florida ask, to ask patients about their immigration status. At a press conference after he signed the bill back in July, which he touted as the most ambitious anti-illegal immigrant law in the country, DeSantis described its passage as a great victory. Well, critics call it draconian, and it is hurting the state's economy and their ability to rebuild. Uh, Jose, a 23-year-old from Honduras who lives in Texas and works in home remodeling, said um, that it's been hard to watch news reports from Florida. He says, I feel powerless seeing how all these people need help. We had hurricanes like this hit Honduras, and people have helped us. And that's one reason I want to help. We do it with all our hearts. Last year, he spent months in Fort Myers, Florida, rebuilding from top to bottom. This year, he says he does not feel safe returning to the state. Now, luckily, Idalia hit uh, a—it was an intense storm, but it hit a sparsely populated area of the state, so the damage— uh, is less extensive than it could have been, but next time Florida may not be so lucky. Forecasters are now looking at Hurricane Lee in the Atlantic, which appears to be a monster storm that the National Hurricane Center predicted could grow to a uh a category five with quote explosive intensification. Over the next few days, it's still too early to know if it will hit the uh, continental U.S., Desi Doyen?
2: Yes, its uh, Its track is still unclear, but it is already uh, Hurricane Lee has already spun up to a powerful Category 4. It looks like it's going to affect the Caribbean, and it might affect people on the East Coast. Don't turn your back on it. Yeah. Keep an eye on it. It could turn suddenly and hit the coast, and even if it doesn't hit directly to the U.S., its rain and wind field could still affect folks. We
1: will keep our eyes on that. And I bet Florida will as well. All right. uh, More odds and ends and follow up straight ahead, including some more. Yes. Actual voter fraud by, yes, white Republicans uh, and a contrast to how black voters who do not commit fraud are treated in some states. In this case, the now notorious corner of Georgia known as Coffee County. That Desi Doyne's latest brutal green news report and maybe a song, are all ahead on the broadcast today. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself... Thank you. Welcome back, it's Brad Cast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. dot com. Just before we took our break last week, I covered a story about an Ohio attorney, a white Republican Ohio attorney, a white Republican Donald Trump donating Ohio attorney from Shaker Heights in Cuyahoga County, which is Cleveland, one of the most Democratic leaning parts of the state who had been found guilty a week or so ago of double voting in both Ohio and Florida in both the 2020 election and the 2022 general election. In fact, he had also voted twice in elections back in 2014 and 2016, but the statute of limitations had run out on those felonies, so he was only charged and found guilty for the two voter fraud felonies in 2020 and 2022. Yeah, he got away with the earlier ones. Uh, but unlike most folks found guilty of such crimes, at least most white Republicans found guilty of such crimes. And let's face it, strong evidence in recent years suggests that most such crimes are, in fact, carried out by white Republicans. This guy, 56 year old Shaker Heights attorney James Saunders, actually received jail time for his crimes.
2: Wow, that is unusual.
1: I, he was actually sent straight to jail following the guilty wow. verdict last month, uh, pending sentencing a few days later, which took place while we were off. He was sent to jail even before the sentencing happened.
2: And that's really unusual for a white Republican, it seems, to be sentenced to jail, actual jail, rather than something like community
1: service. According to uh, Cleveland.com, Saunders subsequently was sentenced to three years in prison for illegally voting in the last two general elections. Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court Judge Andrew Santoli called 56-year-old James Saunders' actions, quote, purposeful, intentional, and cavalier in handing down what is the maximum sentence for those crimes in Ohio. He also fined Saunders $10,000, which is also the maximum sentence, Fine for that crime in the Buckeye State, quote, You violated a fundamental right of this country that every person speaks with one vote and one voice, the judge said. I can think of no greater crime of a felony of the fourth degree than a crime perpetrated against every single uh, person in this country, the judge said. According to federal campaign finance filings, Saunders made multiple donations to former President Donald Trump's campaign, I know you're shocked, and to super PACs that backed GOP candidates. You know, GOP candidates who spend a whole lot of time pretending that voter fraud is a massive problem carried out by millions of Democrats, mostly minority ones, in big cities like, for example, Cleveland. Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Michael O'Malley said after the hearing that Saunders' case was the only example that his office has seen of someone blatantly violating the state's voting laws. Quote, he thought the rules didn't apply to him. O'Malley said he found out today they do apply to him. Hmm. Judge Santoli denied a request from defense attorneys to delay Saunders' prison sentence until after he appeals his conviction. The judge held that Saunders ought to be held to a higher standard because of his position as an attorney. Quote, You know what the laws are and know exactly what you can and cannot do, said Santoli. So Saunders is now in prison. The judge also found, by the way, that he bilked taxpayers of Cuyahoga in a completely different way while fighting these charges. Yes, Santoli ordered Saunders to repay the Cuyahoga County public defenders for their uh, representation of him. Saunders, uh, whose attorneys said uh, enjoyed a, quote, life of wealth and privilege and lived off money that his parents left to him in a trust fund, did not actually qualify For a taxpayer-funded lawyer, Hmm. but he applied for a public defender, and he received one when, in fact, he should not have. So there is your 2020 voter fraud in a nutshell. But, of course, there is always more, and it does, of late, always seem to be Republicans. In this case, a GOP lawmaker in Alabama where preventing black people from voting by falsely claiming fraud is as much an art as a science over the years there. Republican Alabama State Rep. David Cole last week was arrested and charged with voter fraud on accusations he voted in, quote, multiple or unauthorized locations, according to jail records provided by Madison County Sheriff's Office. According to the sheriff's records, Cole was booked uh, Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, and released on bail amounting to twenty five hundred dollars. The charge is a Class C felony, meaning conviction in Alabama could result in up to ten ten years in prison. The uh, local news outlet AL.com said Attorney General Steve Marshall's office confirmed they were prosecuting the case. The arrest comes after increased scrutiny over Rep. Cole's primary uh, residence. Cole was elected to represent District 10 in the Alabama state legislature, but local reports claim that Cole actually lived in District 4, which would violate state law. In a deposition in May, according to reports, Cole sat for more than two hours answering questions centered on whether Cole truly lived at the District 10 home that was listed as his residence. So during the uh, deposition, he said he could not remember (laughs) whether he had moved any personal property into the home. He also said he could not recall whether he had ever slept at the home overnight and said he could not recall ever eating a meal at the home or bathing there. Cole, who ran for election as a state rep and won last year in 2022, Resigned from office on the last day of the month last week after, and this is actually surprising, uh, he filed court documents that show that he intends to plead guilty Mm. to the charges.
2: Actually going to take responsibility. What?
1: (laughs) Cole's attorney said, uh, Dr. Cole, he was a doctor. Dr. Cole admits and takes full responsibility for the mistakes he made in the political process. Now, I don't actually mean to pick on Republicans here. There are certainly cases of Democrats committing various forms of voter fraud as well. But in most instances, uh, such cases are actually very rare, even if you would not know it from the Republican Party and their years long efforts at vote voter suppression based on false claims of massive fraud by Democrats. But the evidence simply does not bear that out. But the attempts at suppressing votes, usually those of minority voters, by Republicans, well, that is exceedingly well documented and, yes, continuing, even while the same Republicans are frequently found to be committing various forms of election fraud themselves, which is why we tend to point them out. To that end... As you know, we've been uh, covering the story of the major, very serious breach and copying and distribution of the state of Georgia's exceedingly sensitive voting system software by a team of high-profile MAGA Trumpers after the 2020 election in Coffee County, Georgia, as apparently organized by Trump attorney Sidney Powell, who, along with Three others involved in the breach were charged with felony crimes related to it a few weeks ago as part of the 41-count RICO indictment against Trump and 18 others filed by Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis. Uh, Yesterday on the program, we spoke with Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance very good interview, if I say so myself. Yes, it was. You can download it. <laughs> I agree. Uh for free at Bradblog.com, of course, thanks to those of you who support our work at Bradblog.com slash donate. In any event, Marilyn Marilyn Marks was was the one who actually brought the entire Coffee County breach, the scheme to light with uh, her recording of a phone call that she received from Atlanta bail bondsman Scott Hall essentially confessing to the entire scheme of imaging hard drives, scanning ballots, etc., at the elections office in the rural, far-right-leaning Coffee County beginning on January 7, 2021. That's the day after Trump had incited his insurrection— At the U.S. Capitol in hopes of stealing the 2020 election. So, in fact, we were uh, the broadcast was the first broad uh, first broadcast outlet to actually share that audio of Scott Hall and Marilyn Marks. And Scott Hall has also now been charged in that scheme as well as part of that RICO uh, uh, indictment. Um. But we played it first here uh, on the public airwaves back in May of last year, and we've been reporting in detail on that breach, both on the Bradcast and at Bradblog.com ever since. The Coffee County, Georgia breach, as much as it has now begun finally to make national news, and there's still a whole lot to that story that is not being covered nationally, but it's begun to make uh, national news. People understand, I think. What Coffee County refers to? Some I hope of them. so. I think they should Certainly be starting our listeners to.
2: Do. <laughs> yes, definitely.
1: But anyway, uh, that breach, um, never mind that the charges that are being brought against these, uh, these various Trumpers, the breach itself has had a very different, different effect on the people of that town who are actually quite shook up about it, about what happened. And the whole thing just looks very different on the ground in Coffee County, as noted in my conversation with uh, Maryland yesterday. Elected officials in the rural southeastern Georgia county on the uh, on the board of elections and on the county commission—they are locked down hard right now. We've had trouble getting many of them to talk to us at all about what actually went on there and and what the then coffee county election supervisor now co-defendant in the trump rico indictment misty hampton actually did when she allowed these people into the office to copy all the hardware and software uh, and and who exactly it is that she was working with at the time as i said there's a lot more to this story like uh, Misty Hampton, former Coffee County Republican Party Chair Kathy Latham, who was also charged in her case regarding both the Coffee County breach and she was charged for being a fake elector in the state in 2020. They both claim that they are innocent. Then again, Latham also said she was not even at the Coffee County Elections Office at all during the breach for more than oh, five minutes, just to greet people say hello to uh, welcome them to come in and breach the state voting software via Coffee County. Security camera footage eventually obtained, yes, by Marilyn Marks uh, in her lawsuit against the state's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensberger and his godforsaken, unverifiable, insecure touchscreen voting systems. That's uh, security camera footage actually showed Latham hanging around. It wasn't five minutes. He was hanging around behind the counter at the elections office for hours and hours during the breach. No, not just for five minutes. Then again, Kathy Latham and Misty Hampton. Well, they're white Republicans in a county which voted almost 70% for Donald Trump in 2020. In fact, the presidential election results that year in coffee, uh, 69.5% for Trump, almost 30% for Biden, almost mirror the county's demographics, where just over a quarter of the population is black and where many say that they have faced voter suppression for years as covered by CNN's L. Reeve recently, and a very good piece this week that I, I wanted to share with you focused on the residents of Coffee County, which is sometimes known as Crooked Coffee, and uh, one resident in particular, Olivia Coley Pearson, a black woman who has been penalized uh, for years for the act of simply trying to help voters to vote. She's been penalized by people like, well, now co-defendants Misty Hampton and Kathy Latham, who you will hear Kathy Latham in this video claiming that all kinds of fraudulent things are happening in this town, the town of Douglas, the county seat, just to get people to vote. Well, implying, of course, major voter fraud by, you know, those people. Despite the fact that there is zero evidence of such fraud, at least above and beyond Latham and Hampton and friends, of course, unlawfully breaching and illegally copying the state's voting systems there. According to Fonnie Willis's 41-count Rico indictment against Trump and 18 others in any event, uh, including coffee residents Misty Hampton and Kathy Latham. Here's El Reeve from CNN.
0: This is where it all went down. Yes. This is where it all went down. This other door mm-hmm. this is where they had camera footage in reference to the voter breach.
3: It's blown my mind that something this important has happened in our little county.
4: You walk inside a voter registration office with no mask on, and they just give you the votes. They just give them to you. Why, why, would I mean, that show you right there, it ain't just started, it always been just like that.
3: In the Georgia indictment of Donald Trump and others, prosecutors allege what might sound like a wacky, unprecedented scheme, that rural Coffee County election officials allowed Trump associates to access voter data. But some locals say the allegations are right in line with the history of voter intimidation and suppression. Are you surprised the breach happened in Coffee County?
0: Not at all, because they knew they had somebody who would allow them to come in and do it.
3: Among those 19 mugshots, Douglas City Commissioner Olivia Coley Pearson saw some familiar faces, fellow Coffee County locals who she'd tangled with in past elections.
2: Olivia Pearson's up to her normal handing out hamburgers and hot dogs.
3: Coley Pearson has been a voting rights activist in Douglas, the majority black county seat, for many years, and not everyone's been happy about it.
2: All kinds of things happening in Coffee County just to get people to come vote. Yeah, it's not. Really good situation down here.
3: Georgia allows disabled or illiterate people to get help voting. After the 2012 election, Georgia investigated Coffee County complaints that Cody Pearson assisted ineligible people and began calling voters she'd helped.
4: She signed on the back of it that she assisted you, and I was wanting to know, because she didn't mark, it's not marked why she assisted you, and I was wondering why, she, why you needed assistance. Because I can't read. Okay. i illiterate.
3: The state didn't charge her, but local prosecutors charged her with two felonies, saying she'd helped other voters who were ineligible. After two trials, she was found not guilty in 2018.
0: You would think it was murder, um, robbery, something that really done some damage to our community. But I was trying to help somebody who wanted to exercise their right to vote.
3: Then, while helping a woman vote in 2020, Cully Pearson asked about the buttons on a voting machine. She says Misty Hampton, the former election supervisor now under indictment with Trump,
0: began yelling at her. Misty just began hollering at the top of her lungs. That's what you got in trouble for last time. Punching buttons or touching buttons or something to that effect. It struck a nerve with me because I was on trial fighting for my life for something that I was not guilty of. So I did raise my voice at that point and I said to her, you were lying in like you're lying now. In a deposition, Hampton said she spoke
3: in a normal voice and that Coley Pearson was being disruptive. Coley Pearson left to pick up another voter, and when she returned, police stopped her outside the polling place, saying she'd been banned.
4: What happened? You're here touching my
0: And I got arrested. I was put in handcuffs. In handcuffs. And you know, I've never been arrested before. I didn't know, you know, it's so tight like that. It's just
3: shocking to hear someone treated like they're a violent criminal.
0: Exactly. Especially being an elected official. I stand up for what I believe is right. And some people have a problem with people when you speak out.
3: At the time, she'd been driving Rolanda Williams, who agreed to talk if we didn't show her face.
0: I mean, I was scared and fearful. And I was just like telling Miss Olivia I didn't want to go... Back up there to vote, and I won't go back and vote because of everything that's going on. I didn't understand why they called this crooked coffee, but now I understand.
3: Why do you think it happened in Coffee
0: County? Because of the racism.
3: Hampton and former County Republican Party Chair Kathy Latham are accused of allowing Trump associates to copy voter data. Both pleaded not guilty and have not responded to CNN's request for comment. Latham has said she was not, quote, personally involved in the breach. Do you see a connection between what happened to you and this big push after the 2020 election to dispute the vote totals in usually majority black cities like Atlanta, Detroit, and so on? (laughs) Of course.
0: There's a certain amount of power and control when you're in certain offices. Some people will do whatever it takes to maintain it. And if it takes voter intimidation to do it, some people are willing to intimidate people. The election commission initially
3: denied surveillance footage of the election office breach existed. So far, there has been no local investigation into what happened. Hampton resigned in February 2021 for falsifying timesheets. Christy Nipper is the new election supervisor. The day that they voted me into this particular position, the first thing that our chairman said was, Who gets behind the counter? (laughs) I was like, nobody. Now she says the public needs reassurance that the county's elections are secure. You know, this has always been a really small town, and people have always been pretty close-knit, regardless of party or anything like that. We were all from Coffee County, and this has kind of divided people in a sense. But I think it's like that across the whole country. It's not just here. That division was clear in our conversations with people around town, but even among yeah, Trump voters, there was it, it, an openness to holding people accountable.
5: I don't know if they've proved it. I mean, if they have, I, I'm, I'm 100% against it. Do I like Trump? I wouldn't want him sitting at the table with me this morning
0: talking,
5: because no. yeah. uh, uh, I don't like him. But yeah, I think he had good values, And I think right now that he is being, I don't know, Maybe maybe he should be held responsible.
3: What do you say to black people in Coffee County who say, well, actually, I have faced discrimination here, and there's a whole history of trying to keep black people from voting, and it's not the 60s anymore, but it's not perfect.
5: I personally think that's Why? Because I, they got the same right to vote right here. I mean, you know, they're in the military now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, good methods, cyber siding Yeah. I mean, there's no there's no segregation to talk about.
0: Now some people are in denial, especially around here, because they're friends with the folk from Coffee County that's involved. And I, I know you're innocent until proven guilty, but you know, that video speaks volume. I hope it sheds more light. I hope those people in Coffee County who were pointing their finger at me can really see now you know it was a bigger picture
1: that was uh uh coffee county uh commissioner olivia cole uh, coley pearson speaking with cnn's l reeve an excellent report uh again you heard kathy latham in there she's one of those folks who have been uh, indicted as part of the Funny Willis' RICO charges saying all kinds of things going on to get people to vote. It's not a good situation down here. Which is, of course, a lie. And, of course, uh, well, it may not be a good situation down there, but for certain people, I think it's a fine situation for Latham, the former GOP county party chair down there.
2: Yes, it's a lie to say Uh, that helping people who need help to vote are doing something criminal. uh,
1: Yeah, the guy who uh, they they called, who you hear, uh, actually, I think he was from the state prosecutor's office, calling that guy to find out why Commissioner Pearson... Uh, they know her as Miss Olivia. Why she, uh, why she helped that guy to vote, and he has to admit he doesn't know how to read. He's illiterate. Uh, just so humiliating. And then you hear the white guy at the end say, "Well, I don't know what they're complaining about. They got the same rights that I do. There's no uh, segregation here."
2: Therefore, racism is over.
1: Anyway, uh, good news. Just wanted to sort of give you another, uh, a different side to that Coffee County story. Once again, from CNN's El Reeve, we will link to her uh, very good report when we post tonight's Bradcast at bradblog.com. All right, more odds, ends, and codas uh, coming up next with Desi Doyen and her yep. Green News report and, if time allows, a musical end to Labor Day week. That's all straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Desi Doyen I want to uh, try to end today's show with uh, with a song. So, okay. So let's get right to it. Uh, First, your latest Green News report. We are moving out of society's comfort zone. Earth just had
2: its hottest summer ever recorded. Tourists have been trapped on the island, unable to leave. Extreme storms cause deadly floods in Brazil and Greece. Plus, Biden administration moves to block oil drilling in Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Again.
1: Again? Again. All of those deja vus and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm
2: Desi Doyan.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
3: People are not affecting climate change. You're going to tell me that back in the Ice Age, how much taxes did people pay? And how many changes did governments make to melt the
1: ice? I'm not going to tell you anything, Marjorie Taylor Green. I wish you would just go away. This is your Green News Report.
3: I'm soak up the sun.
1: Okay, Desi Doyle, we are still trying to make sense of the endless summer of extremes not only here in the u.s but all around the globe
2: oh indeed and now the data is in last month was the hottest august on record globally since record keeping began in the mid 1800s august was also the second warmest month ever behind only july 2023 that's according to the world meteorological organization the new record hot august caps a full season of brutal and deadly temperatures the last three months were the hottest June, July, and August ever recorded globally by a significant margin, generating multiple prolonged extreme heat waves and extreme storms across the northern hemisphere. People are not affecting climate change.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Japan recorded its hottest summer ever in 2023 and set a new all-time high national heat record. Australia notched its hottest winter ever in the southern hemisphere in more than a century of record keeping. In South America, numerous countries also set new all-time high winter heat records. Here in the U.S., 80 million Americans are suffering through yet another record-setting extreme heat wave with blazing temperatures straining electric grids from Texas to Maine. Hot weather in nine states forced schools that lack air conditioning to close or be dismissed early this week. According to a recent study, about 14,000 public schools that didn't need air conditioning in the 1970s will need cooling systems installed by 2025.
1: Only if you give a damn about people.
2: People are not affecting climate change. Globally, a new analysis by carbon plan projects that by 2030, nearly a billion people will be exposed to at least one full month of dangerous extreme heat every year. Mm. This summer, global ocean temperatures also hit new record highs, significantly boosting extreme storms. In southern Brazil this week, a powerful cyclone triggered deadly flash floods in several cities, killing at least 31 as we go to air and displacing thousands. Southern Europe was hit by a massive storm that caused devastating flooding across Spain, Greece, Turkey and Bulgaria. In Greece, which has been grappling with Europe's worst wildfire season in decades, the storm dumped a jaw-dropping two feet of rain in just 10 hours, inundating several cities. In an interview with PBS NewsHour, NASA chief scientist Gavin Schmidt emphasized that the infrastructure and systems of the 20th century were not built for the accelerating 21st century climate crisis.
1: I have a feeling he must have been out on the ledge at the time. We are moving out of society's comfort zone. And that means that places that were prepared for a certain spread
5: of temperature and a certain number of extremes are now being uh, hit with larger
1: extremes. They're being hit with higher temperatures, uh, more intense rainfall. And the structures that we have, the infrastructure that we have, uh, is just not being able to cope with that.
2: The World Meteorological Organization attributes the extreme events primarily to human-caused global warming from burning fossil fuels and warned that these records are unfolding before we see the amplifying warming effects of a new El Nino in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> But there is some good news. Really? Is there? Is there? (laughs) Yes. U.S. federal regulators have halted a Trump-era rule that allowed highly flammable, liquefied natural gas bomb trains on the nation's railroads, pending a new review of the safety of transporting volatile substances that must be kept at extremely low temperatures when shipped.
1: That is good news.
2: And finally, the Biden administration this week moved to impose a permanent ban on oil drilling across millions of acres of pristine alaskan wilderness the conservation action does not affect the controversial willow project due to a court judgment in a separate announcement interior secretary deb holland moved to cancel all trump era drilling leases that had been permitted in alaska's arctic national wildlife refuge and restored the refuge's decades-long drilling ban
1: protections to be restored to anwar yep excellent news We'll take it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyle. And
1: this has been your Green News Report. Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid uh, summer is not quite gone just yet. At least storm season is not gone. Sadly uh, no. Buckle up for what come for come what may with Hurricane Lee and, and any other whatever else behind coming, it coming Thank yeah. you very much Desi Toyen. Uh before we go, Oliver Anthony is a Virginia-based folk singer who right-wingers touted for his so-called conservative anthem called Rich Men North of Richmond. NBC News, Des- News describes the song as, quote, "...a lament about the frustrations of a working-class person who toils for low wages and sees his meager earnings eaten up by taxes." His song was even featured at the start of the first Republican presidential debate in Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago. But the songwriter has since insisted that it is not a so-called conservative anthem. In a YouTube video response, Anthony said, quote, I wrote about those people on the GOP debate stage. It's aggravating seeing people on conservative news trying to identify with me like I am one of them. But as the song became a right-wing sensation, British songwriter and labor rights advocate Billy Bragg recorded his own response to Anthony's viral U.S. country hit. That response was brought to my attention via Twitter by a user in Syracuse, New York, calling himself The Fimer Addis. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. He sent it to uh, myself and a number of other progressive broadcasters like my friend Nicole Sandler, who I think played this response on her show as well. But as we wrap up Labor Day week, it seems worth sharing as widely as possible. On August 20, Billy Bragg posted the song to YouTube with the comments, quote, Since I saw that clip of Oliver Anthony singing his song, Rich Men, North of Richmond, The ghost of Woody Guthrie has been whispering in my ear. Help that guy out, Woody keeps telling me. Let him know there's a way to deal with those problems that he's singing about. So today I sat down and wrote this response to Mr. Anthony's song for people like him and people like you.
5: If you're selling your soul, working all day Overtime hours for bullshit pay Well, nothing's gonna change If all you do is wish you could wake up And it not be true, join a union Fight for better pay You better join a union Organized today, you'll see where the problem really lies when the union comes around. Rich men earning north of a million want to keep the working folk down, want to keep the working folk down. Form a union you'll soon find that working people are all of one kind so we ain't gonna punch down on those who need a bit of understanding and some solidarity that ain't right friend if you're struggling with your health and your Holding on the pounds Doctor gives you opiates To help you get around Well, wouldn't it be better For folks like you and me If medicine was subsidized And healthcare was free Join a union Fight for better pay Come on and join a union Sister Organize today Comes down to the self same thing if you're black or white or brown. Rich men earning north of a million wanna keep the working folk down, wanna keep the working folk down. Well, we know you're Culture wars are there to distract While libertarian billionaires avoid paying tax You want to talk about bathrooms while the floodwaters rise The forest is on fire and the wind burns our eyes (sighs) Something's wrong here Well, they want to divide us because together we're strong. Are you going to take action now you sung your damn song? If you don't like the rich man having total control, you better get the union to roll. Join a union. Fight for better pay. Come on and join. Organized today Don't matter if you live in the city Or some little country town Rich men Earning north of a million Rich men Earning north of a million I say rich men Earning north of a million Want to keep the working folk down Want to keep the working folk down Selling your soul and you're working all day overtime hours for bullshit
1: pay, join a union. Very nice. Billy Bragg's Rich Men Earning North of a Million. His response yes. to Oliver Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond. Gorgeous I will, song. Indeed, I will link to it when uh, posting today's show at brandblog.com. Thought it'd be a nice way to end. Labor Day week. Uh, Thank you very much. we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and, of course, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated, always an honor. Thank you for that. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other we've ever done, you can download them all for free at bradblog.com. That's made possible by those of you kind enough to click one of those donate buttons while you're there or just go straight to bradblog.com slash donate drop me email if you like i'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the facebook's mastodons and sites still known as twitter you'll find me at the brad blog we will see you there until we see you here next time i'm brad friedman happy birthday mom and good luck world
4: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2011. That was the day hundreds of ILWU strikers blocked railroad tracks near Longview, Washington. They hoped to stop grain shipments from moving in and out of the EGT grain terminal. Longshoremen had been sitting down on the tracks throughout the summer, resulting in over 100 arrests. No trains had moved in or out of the terminal since July. But then a federal judge issued an injunction against ILWU pickets. The BNSF railroad tried to move grain once again. ILWU picketers in Vancouver were able to hold off the train until police forcibly dispersed the crowd. Then, hundreds gathered at Longview to block the train from coming in. That's when police went on the offensive. They used clubs and pepper spray against the longshoremen, arresting 19. They threw ILWU President Bob McElrath to the ground. Rumors spread that police had broken his arm. Hundreds of regional longshoremen rushed to Longview. The Seattle and Tacoma ports shut down in protest. The next morning, 10,000 tons of grain were opened onto the railroad tracks. The grain export terminal was the first to be built in the Pacific Northwest in almost 30 years. EGT hoped to undercut the powerful ILWU who controlled operations at the port since its founding in the 1930s. The union refused to agree to work 12-hour shifts at straight time. The EGT hoped to break the hiring hall by refusing to recognize maintenance and inside workers at the terminal. They then attempted to fill jobs with workers from the operating engineers. But the ILWU persevered. By the end of January, EGT had backed off many of its demands. Negotiations resumed, and days later, the contract was signed.